Sonic Hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 133. We're recording slightly a uh, day earlier this week because I'm going up to the Limbs show tomorrow and uh, my initial plan was I thought I could be really James Bond and leap into a fast car after recording the uh, the podcast tomorrow and um, edit it on the way and then just upload it before I leapt onto the uh, the, the Yamaha's launch uh, on the River Thames, which is uh, they're having a big product party tomorrow. Uh, we're going to find out what they're actually going to be releasing. And uh, I thought it would all be really suave and sophisticated, but I realised I couldn't do it. So <laughs> that's why we're recording today. So as a result, it'll probably be us stuck in traffic tomorrow with nothing to do. Or maybe I'll re-edit the podcast tomorrow if I've got nothing to do. <laughs> so anyway, hello and welcome to Sonic Tour 133. Uh, those who managed to join us uh, a day early in the chat room, welcome to you. Uh, if you've never joined us in the chat room, then I, s- I strongly recommend you do. It's really good fun, I'm told. Uh, sonicstate.com forward slash live. Uh, we've got a bunch of people in there today. It's good to see you all. Thanks for joining us. And um, this week on the line, uh, we've got a, I've got a sort of split panel, both sides of the Atlantic. Um, and I'll start with Dave Spears from G4 Software. How are you doing, Dave? I'm all right. Good. Thank you. Good, 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 good. Yeah, you you going to Limbs? Uh, I might do. I don't know. Oh, busy week this week. Oh, very, yeah. very busy week this week, really? actually. Okay, well, I suppose that's that's an excuse. That's fair enough. And I'm sticking to it. Yeah, it's quite good up the Excel Centre. Although, apparently, and rather unfortunately, I hear there's going to be a, national, a, a, tube, a tube strike on the trade day, which is the Thursday, which is also the day of the England football match, which means they might actually have no pe- nobody able to get there at all, which would be really terrible, um, obviously, for, for everybody. And, um, yeah, hopefully it's not going to affect things. And we're driving there, so we'll be all right. But So British. I know, it's so British, isn't it? <laughs> they reckon it costs 50 million quid a day for a tube strike. In, in lost business. God. Cool. ching Anyway, uh, well, maybe see you, Rich, uh, Dave. And uh, let's say hello to Rich Hilton. Rich Hilton from sunny Connecticut, uh, who's also joined us um, on the line. Uh, Rich works daily with Mr. Nile Rogers in, uh, in the fabulous studio, in the, living the high life, no doubt, swivelly on a special swivelly chair with special gas implants and everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the high life. Yeah, I knew it was. Yeah, it is. How's uh, everything going? You, you've you've got your large monitor. You've got your Axiom Pro. You're all proed up. Any, any other acquisitions that you've managed to incorporate into the uh, setup? I've just gotten uh, the Zoom H4n. Oh, have you? I've tra- I, I really wanted to get some of those. Going to be checking it out today. It's really? uh, good fun. A little bit thicker and heavier, perhaps, than the competition, but it has real XLR inputs on it. And we'll record up to four tracks at a time. Yeah, that's the thing that's pretty cool. And you can record four lines at a time because you've got an external mic input, or, which could work as a line, and you've also got these combi connectors. That's the thing that really excited me about it. Um, and I did try and do a deal with Zoom for, uh, for Mesa, but we just couldn't make it happen, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I wish you luck with it. It sounds it's great. It's much better built than the H4, I thought. Nice and chunky. Sort of feels really robust. Yeah, so I've been told. I hadn't seen the H2. But uh, it was for me, it was down to this or the Ederol, and uh, decided to go for this. Ederol sounds very good. Yeah, I, it sounds good on their website, and it looks nice, and I have friends who recommended it. So In fact, Diego sure Stocco, last week, he uses them. Ah, yes. Yes, that's right. And uh, I'm sure it's an excellent product, because pretty much everything make, Roland makes is solid and well-built and well you know thought out. 
Ah, very, it's very good of you to say so. And also a prime point for me to mention that Roland are a sponsor of the show, but that's in no way connected to what Rich are just said. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> no. And of course, so are Loopmasters, but more from them later. And uh, Rich Hilton, uh, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. And, um, oh, let's see, eeny, meeny, miny, PJ. Hello, PJ. PJ in Minneapolis. PJ Tracy, Emmy-winning composer from Minneapolis. How you doing, PJ? I'm very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, good. Good. Feeling kind of... Good. Everything feels quite good today. I'm not quite sure why. Had some fun this morning. I've been up to um, the Golf Rap studio and I've been asked to kind of re... Because they usually run all their analogues kind of just in an analogue style, but they want to kind of incorporate into the door. So uh, I'm, I, they bought Volta. So next week my job is to see how it all incorporates and run it because we got 16 spare I.O. on the Motu system in uh, oh, an analogue world and be able to kind of see how it all works. I'm really looking forward to, uh, to trying it out. We got Very quite cool. excited about it. Yay. Um, well, um, where should we go first? I suppose, oh, uh, hold on, I'll play this first, because I like this. This was the Expressivo voice. Welcome to Sonic Talk number 133, Tuesday 9 June, available on iTunes tomorrow. R, yar, har. I just put those on the end to see what it would sound like, which kind of spurred a new, uh, a new concept, which I thought, I wonder if I could get them to beatbox. Because there's a, a site, if you go to expressivo.com, there's all these different voices and the little text box you can type into it. And it'll say whatever you want, including, I might add, rude words in a number of different voices that you like. And I thought, oh, let's see if we can get beatboxing. So I tried this and I was going to try and cut it up and turn it into various bits, but it didn't quite work. Boom, ka, boom, boom, ka, boom, boom, ka, boom, boom, bleep, squilk, dick, you know, I, I thought if I got her to say loads of different samples and then played it back, you know, it might, you might be able to loop it. But I think maybe I was, uh, I was sadly mistaken. But it's quite good fun because it, it's quite useful on Twitter. Because what you can do is write a really long message or write a message and then send it to somebody as a tiny as a tiny URL, and then they can open it and it just plays it on on load of the page. And you can get them to say all sorts of. But they're quite proper voices, so you can get them saying some rude things, and it's quite stimulating for some, I suppose. I don't know. That's just an aside. It's just something I came across today. Really, it has no no um, no no bearing on the topics or anything. You've been busy then. I have been quite busy today. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see where we where should we start first? How about Jasuto? Susu Studio. Jasuto. Let's have a listen to Jasuto. This is what I managed to get out of it. <laughs> Impressive, eh? I think I've got a future in electronic music there, but uh, <laughs> that is, it's a really cool Arch plugin. It's just not quite ready for mainstream, I would say. I don't know. What did you, um, Rich Hilton, you passed this uh, my way. Um, and we put a news item up about it. It's kind of, it looks a bit like Reactable in that you drag modules and bring them closer to one another and they interact, which all I was doing there was interact, was dragging a couple of modules around on the page. And uh, that's the noise I got. Well, I quite like it, though I haven't got a handle on it yet, and I haven't had that much time to spend with it. I did spend some time and got results not terribly unlike what you've just played. <laughs> uh, not exactly like it either, but um, it's a really interesting kind of interface, and I look forward to having time someday to sit down with it, like on a train ride or something, and 
and play around and see if I can get something useful out of it. Yeah, it was something called Mode, apparently, and it's a, it's a, PC, it's a VST plugin uh, for Mac and PC, but it doesn't accept MIDI input at the moment, so it's still sort of very much experimental. And it's also an iPhone app, which I think is currently in the final, you know, the panel are sitting, and it'll be ready soon, hopefully. No, it's um, ready. I've got oh, it's it. ready. Oh, you've got it on iPhone, have you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was playing with it on my uh, Touch, my iPod Touch. It looks a little bit small for iPod action to me. Just kind of, how is it to use on that? It wasn't too bad. Okay. I don't know. I, I never considered the idea of using it anywhere else, so mm. it seemed Well, actually, fine to be honest, the, I ran it in Ableton Live to get that, and um, the screen that you can load is about the same size as the touch screen anyway, so there's no real kind of advantage to running in VST mode at present. Um, but yeah, Dave Spears. It's very expensive, isn't it? I don't know. How much was it? One dollar. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. outrageous. <laughs> uh, I listened to, I watched the video and listened to the demo and it reminded me, uh, actually, I thought it sounded quite good, but I had headphones on at the time and I was a bit frightened it was going to set off my labyrinthitis again. Mm. Uh, so I didn't really pursue it too much, but I'll probably get it for a quid. Blimey. Mm-hmm. You're going to run it on your new iPhone. Let's get it out of the way while we're here. Oh, God, yeah. I think I'm going to have to get one. I was tempted to stick with the N97, but the new iPhone with the video and the 50,000 apps as, a pay, as opposed to the 1,000 for Symbian on the uh, Nokia N95. I think it's a bit of a no-brainer. I think the campus swayed it for me. Was it? Kind of useful. Which way's the bathroom? North yeah. by northwest. <laughs> <laughs> PJ, did you, uh, did you check out Jasuto? I did. I watched the video. Fantastic uh, interface, and I think it would be perfect for an iPhone. I was thinking that uh, what that calls out for, like the reactable, is is tactile interaction, haptic feedback, that kind of thing. Mm. So glad to hear that they released it as an as an iPhone application because that would be a lot of fun to sit down and play around with. Um, and I think too, it's uh, it's just interesting to see people come up with these these great interfaces and i look forward to uh to developers coming up with more of them so that we can start interacting with sounds and novel and interesting ways like um uh, like this and like synplant which uh, i think we covered last yeah. time yeah no that was fun um it's simplant it's a similar kind of just outside of your normal although it does it has got the reactable kind of vibe to it didn't you think dave what's that this yeah yeah, yeah, yeah i mean definitely. it looks like it obviously yeah 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 no i thought it was exceptionally cool actually so anyway if you want to check it out i think it's jasuto.com is that right i forgot to write the notes write it in the notes which is very amiss of me and it's the princely sum of one dollar or you can download the vst for mac or pc for zip nada nothing at all which is also quite good okay well um while we're on the subject of soft synths let me find this one oh yeah we'll play this one Actually, that's really bizarre, because in the chat room, they're just talking about the synthesizer with 4 billion presets, 
And that, in fact, was a demo from the sound uh, from the synth with four billion presets, which is called Auto Gun from Image Line. Uh, in fact, how many? I've got I've got it written down. It was. Uh, oh no, I can't read it now. Four billion, uh, over four billion presets, based on the Ogun synth engine. It's a uh, it's PC only at the moment, but. Um, this inter- it yields the interesting statistic that if you listen to one preset every second, 24 hours a day, it will take you over 136 years to complete the task of listening to all of the presets. But what they've done, which is, uh, it's kind of more a conceptual idea, which is what they've done is they've, every time you get one of these, uh, you know, download or buy it, uh, it's a free download, I think, if you download it, the... The, the offset of where you start listening to patches is at a different point. So sort of collectively, as a, a collection of people flipping through patches, we might actually may be able to flip through them all in well under 136 years, assuming we can get... If we get 136 people, then it would only take us a year each. <laughs> mm, I don't know. Do you think it's a worthwhile project? Something for NASA, perhaps, but um, it... it, it it's interesting to see all of these kind of new instruments coming up with with kind of various gimmicks rather than based on particular sonic qualities. Although the the actual synthesis engine of this is quite interesting because the Ogun synth engine is an additive engine and it can provide. They're obviously big on numbers these guys because it can actually work with up to thirty two thousand harmonics so that you can add them together and create these complex um, waveforms. But uh, I just wondered what your thoughts were, um, Rich. Do you feel you might have um, have time for a bit of random patch kind of I, I could. I could. Uh, I think this is made for somebody younger than me. It takes 136 <laughs> years to complete this. But uh, I, there's some part of me that wants to combine this with Jasuto and put four, 4 billion presets into Jasuto. Presets in Jasuto would be useful at this point, yeah. But uh, it sounded pretty good. Yeah, it didn't sound bad. Is it, it sort of reminded me a little bit. Is it Was it very PPG-like, Dave, did you think? Or was I just giving it characteristics it didn't? Actually. Certainly did down Skype. <laughs> <laughs> it's all that, all that aliasing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wonder. It did- presumably, it must be some kind of random um, algorithm. It must just be an algorithm that generates them on the fly or something. Because I mean, no, obviously they haven't all been programmed. You haven't spoke. I mean, if they'd all been programmed by people, you would think that um, at least Howard would have had a go at a couple, wouldn't he? Howard yes, Scar. He did patches four million seven hundred fifty thousand and one five million. Could you imagine that? Okay, so your job is to fill up these spaces. Actually, there it is quite funny because we used to come under pressure from a particular distributor that we had years ago, and it was always you know ah oh, yeah, but whatever since you're doing, it's got to have more than five hundred presets because you know synth X has like four hundred and fifty, and it became like a sort of little arms race. So now we've moved to the point of absurdity. It's usually the best place to stop the joke, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think 128 <laughs> patches in a bank's enough, myself. <laughs> <laughs> Probably too many for my the sort of thing that I need them for. Um, although I did used to run out on the Juno 106. You know, every time we did a new mix and I wanted to swap, I wanted to save it, it was like, oh, I don't know, which one should I rover right? You know, what haven't I used for a while? And you never remember because it's all just numerical. You have to look at your little patch chart. That I used to get a, uh, I used to have a, um, a little sort of um, spreadsheet printout stuck on the side of the the, uh, the synth so I could see which ones I'd used because otherwise you would have no idea, would you? But I don't yeah. think this this one doesn't store them or anything. It just generates one, and you go, yeah, I like that one or not. And then you have to make a note of the number, which is going to be a really long number, isn't it? Four billion. That's going to be what? 
I was going to be like, what is that? Nine? I'm like an IP think. address. Yeah. Well, there was that one that was that one somewhere about two billion three hundred forty-six million. Yeah. If I just go to that, if I just go to that, I'm sure I'll find it quick enough. Mm. It reminds me of the old days at um, Martin Russian's place. He had a Sinclair that had like six hundred snare drums in it. So every band that came in. You know, you'd kind of go, oh, so step through the snare drums then. And, of course, by the time you got to about the 40th one, they were kind of, what was that second one like again? But that's brilliant, because, I mean, if you think about it, that's probably how we ended up with all these kind of massive gargantuan studios over the 80s, because half of the studio time that you booked was spent auditioning samples and uh, rather than actually recording anything. Yeah. And you're still paying, well, you were still paying whatever it was, uh, 20 quid an hour or whatever the, the price was back in the day. Cool, blimey, and some. Add another note on the end. £200 an hour. Yeah, I suppose in the big, big ones, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. How times have changed. <laughs> it was brilliant. Come on, though, we've got to do all 500 snares. Yeah, come on, let's see. We'll get through there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pub's open. Yeah, jeez. I, I remember I remember having the snare, the snare thing, because it was, it was the done thing, wasn't it? You had to get the right snare. Rich, you, you used to do the Synclavia stuff, didn't you, as well? You must have been there. Um... Our, our snare library ran out somewhere in the low hundreds. <laughs> That's enough, though, isn't it? I think so. <laughs> the thing is, with Martin, it always came back to the same one, which was the Bowie snare, which came from Let's Dance, which I believe was that? Nile Rogers, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. And Omar, usually it's Omar Hakim on drums. As soon as they, as soon as they said, the, uh, yeah, what about the bow? Oh, try the Bowie snare. That was it. Everyone immediately sold. Oh, what? The Bowie snare? Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Oh, okay, you mean we can that? have that one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sort of. It'll have a bit of hi hat on it as well. Clear Mountain's still waiting for his check. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Him and uh, and all the other drummers and yeah, what have you? Yeah. Well, he was the engineer, but uh, yeah. well, that's true. Bob Clear Mountain, his uh, fabulous drums. Uh, it was really funny actually. I remember the Bob Clear Mountain sample CDs that when they mm-hmm. came. They were out. the first drum sample CDs they to were. be commercially released. And I always remember thinking, God, they sound really roomy. I didn't expect them to sound like that. And, and funnily enough, I was listening to. Um, uh, oh God! Uh, one of the Madonna tracks. I think it might have been uh, "Material Girl." Mm-hmm. And you think of Madonna as really electronic and quite dry. You listen mm-hmm. to the drums on that, and they are so roomy. And there's no, there's hardly any effects on anything else. And you, when you listen to it, because I was trying to mimic the pattern for something, and it just, I, it was incredibly roomy. And I was really surprised because I didn't remember it that way. There's an awesome Sugar Cubes record called "Blue Eyed Pop," I think. And one of the lyrics is, um, this is the thousand pound snare drum sound. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Which I think just sums up the 80s. It does, isn't it? Brilliant. Did you say sugar cubes or sugar babes? Sugar cubes. Ah, good old Bjork. Yeah, I used to like them. So anyway, yeah, uh, com, um, and autogun is the, is the synth you want to look for. Um, maybe, you know, let us know how you get on with the preset browsing if you, if you fancy it, got a few weeks or years or time to spare, you might find something good on there. Oh, sorry, blimey. Was that one of them? Uh, that was snare drum. That was preset number seven million. <laughs> that was snare drum number 600. Yeah. <laughs> the one you put there just to see if anyone got there. That was an Eno snare. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like it. Right, well, let's move on to, uh, well, um, I've got a, uh, well, I'll do an ad. Hey, what the hell? 
Uh, just because I can. Um, we're going to say thank you very much to our continued sponsorship from Roland.co.uk, who incidentally will be at Limbs uh, this week, which is the London International Music Show, uh, which is running from, I think the public days are Friday, Saturday and Sunday of this week. Uh, that's the 11th, 12th, 13th of June. Uh, at the London Docklands XL Centre. If you want to get along there, you'll be able to see that they're going to be announcing some new stuff. New stuff. Um, but in the meantime, uh, check out the Vsynth GT Patch Vote, uh, where you can win yourself a Boss Micro BR recorder. All you have to do is go and check out a patch. In fact, I took a little bit of uh, audio from one of the guys. There are nine videos, each of the guys in a uh, Planet Roland store, which is like a store within a store in the UK, got given the same sample and they had to do make... A, um, a patch on the Vsynth GT version 2. Hi there, my name's Jeff. I work in the Roland Planet in Brighton in a shop called GAC and I'd like to take you to the Vsynth GT now um, with the new version 2.0 um, and also I've been given a vocal sample so I'll show you how easy it is to create a patch using that and how creative it is. Okay, let's run through it. If you want to hear more, what you do is go to roland.co.uk slash vsynthgtpatchvote. Uh, you sign up, you watch the video, you sign up, you say which one you prefer. Um, this goes to uh, an, a, a panel of experts, or maybe it's just pulled out of the hat. I'm not entirely sure of the process. But if you are one of the lucky winners, you'll win a Boss Micro BR recorder, which has uh, got Cosm Sound, all sorts of great stuff, multi-track, drum machine, the whole bunch. But you also get to check out the uh, Vsynth GT version 2 operating system, which is uh, pretty top-notch. So once again, thank you very much to roland.co.uk slash vsynthgtpatchvote. Right then, um, let's see, what do we got next? Oh, the how could I forget? It's a new sem from Tom Oberheim. Can you believe it? Rich, you, you, you drew my attention to this one. You reiterated the, the great news. One of the funniest things about the video of Tom Oberheim introducing the thing is at one point he says, okay, I'm not a programmer and I'm not a key- keyboard player, but here's how it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> and he lays his hand down and it's all buzzy and weird. Yeah, it did. <laughs> I never really got, I've never really had a chance to play with Oberheim stuff, so it hasn't kind of got the same cachet as perhaps it would for, certainly, I, I'm certainly, if you're in synthesis and you're in America, you'd, you'd be very familiar with the Oberheim, right? It's magnificent. I'm so pleased about this. I really am. It, of course. I mean, I, growing up, uh, the first polyphonic synthesizer I ever got my hands on was an Oberheim 4 voice. And I, it was shown to me by a guy who was their product specialist who was brilliant at programming it and could just get around on the thing blazingly fast. And it just sounded unbelievably good. Yet, and I'm not sure anything after it sounded better. <laughs> right. I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, one thing I have seen is uh, it always looks very complicated in terms of if you've got multiple voices because of the obviously you've got it's like separate synths for each voice, which I guess is the old school way of doing it. It's always made me go, mm, I don't think I can get into that. I'll never get it sounding right. Um, but um, just some brief information. This was at the Red Bull Academy. Um, Tom was invited to speak. Uh, he uh, uh, um, Res Johnny via the chat room says uh, it's pretty amazing it stayed under the radar, but in fact there was rumours flying around. I think we ran a story on it a couple of months ago that there was going to be a new Oberheim, a new SEMS module. Uh, it doesn't have the Oberheim logo, sadly, which is still one of the best synth logos of all time, I think, because um, I think that's still under the ownership of Gibson. But what he's doing is he's remaking the SEM model, module exactly the same. He sourced the, as many of the original parts as possible and had to change a couple of pots uh, manufacturers because they don't make them anymore. It's got different connectors and it's got uh, a MIDI CV interface um, 
sort of built in as well so you can plug it right in and it should interface with your directly with your gear um, it's going to be ready in a few months and it's going to be under a thousand dollars us that's about all we know at this at this stage um, unless anyone knows more dave you're you've got you just bought an oberheim didn't you so you're probably uh, i don't know what this means what does it mean are they how much are they just a single sems what now, now? nowadays what, yeah. an old one yeah uh probably about a thousand pounds twelve hundred fifteen hundred so dollars two, two three hundred yeah okay we bought an eight voice we bought actually we bought chick career's old eight voice yeah so it's uh it's quite a, do you want to hear it oh go on hang on i've got to go to the other side of the room but i've had it on this morning so it's warmed up <laughs> bear, bear in mind i've yeah, been in prog, prog, rock mode go ahead dave play something proggy and, and the floor is going to shake Jesus, you're absolutely right. It does. I can hear that there is a lot of bass in there, and I heard even down Skype via a mic, which is far away from the actual sound source. That's pretty amazing. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's it's actually the sems are really simple. I mean, it's two oscillator, um, two envelope generators, um, very simple modulation stuff. But the beauty about them is that they are so musical, and they just sound so warm and lush and. I don't know. I can't say enough good about them, really. Yeah, I know you're a big fan. I, I just, like I said, I just have never really had, I've never had an opportunity to be, to be bitten by, smitten or bitten by them. They are, com- when you start, I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in the new ones because obviously I think they'll be a little bit more controllable. But when you, I mean, particularly on the eight voice, I mean, for example, tuning it is just a complete, I mean, that, that sound was obviously everything stacked in unison. So, mm. I mean, that's kind of eight lots of two oscillators. Um, and each of the sem is set slightly different. Each sem is set slightly differently. But in terms of tuning it, when mm. we got it, it was like, uh, okay, so how do you... And then you've got this other configuration where each note you play will step through to a separate sem. That sem. Right. So it can all get a bit... A bit I, I just kind of... It baffles me how people used to use things like this and the Odyssey and stuff like that out on the road because, you know, just from a kind of tuning perspective, it's like, whoa. But actually, I have to say, it's pretty stable. So as long as you don't touch it, <laughs> you're fine. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it does have memories, but... There, it, it well, is what do the memories song. remember? Do the memories remember the routings, or do they remember the, the positions of the knobs? Because it's a pure analogue unit, so how would it work? You've got a kind of global control on the programmer of uh, the... Um, filter. Uh, yeah, the filter and the um, oscillator range, as it were, and then you can... Uh, it, it, it is workable, but it is a complete... I mean, you have to do an awful lot of preparation if you want to take it out live i wouldn't take this out live no. ever 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 no. i love the oberheim stuff i have to say out of all of the kind of old classic stuff there's something just inherently musical about it i mean we've got this we've got the ob8 and we've got the expander and actually it's weird because even though the expander is brilliantly convoluted it's just quite uninspiring after you've played an eight voice or, or even an ob8 because of the kind of lack of tactile control it's all very menu driven and Anyway, I say good luck to Tom. He's he said it's a hundred percent analog device, and uh, he uh, what was it else he said? He said he's seventy two, so he's kind of still going at, at it. And you know, I, th- I guess this must be just something to kind of to kind of while away the hours. Um, if you're sick of playing golf or whatever it is um, one does when when you get to that age and you kind of are no longer working full time. But well, while he's at it, if he wants to remake that two voice with that little sequencer in it, that would be fine with me too. Yeah, that's a cutie, isn't it? That one—that's the one that really seems to get it. 
PJ, are you familiar with the Oberheim stuff? Is this, well, I know we talked about the two voice once on one of the previous podcasts, but the, in the light of this coming back, do you think you'd be tempted or are you going to be software? Yeah, I think probably for me, it's at least for now software. I don't, uh, I don't have any experience with the Oberheim synthesizers except as an appreciator from a distance. And, uh, uh I mean, like, uh, Dave picked up Chikria's uh, eight voice, and I'm I'm a fan of his his material from the period when he was using those synthesizers and and uh, you know many many recordings that were made with them. But I have no personal experience with them. One thing that I did notice about that video, though, was it was a bit of an anti sales pitch. It didn't yeah. seem it didn't seem like uh, he was. I think that's fantastic, though. It doesn't seem like he's too concerned whether or not it. Uh, it it all comes to fruition i mean he's he's bringing it out obviously but it was more at the request of uh i think he said it was uh roger lynn that asked him to to reissue the original yes i think i made that is the, the sound on the video we had was unfortunately a bit uh, ropey but uh, you get the gist of it yeah i think it confirmed a, a previous rumor that we had on a podcast that these guys all get to all these old synthesizers oh, they do. yeah they do gurus yeah. get together every thursday in berkeley and have I, coffee together. i suspect tom uh was yeah. persuaded by dave smith and uh roger lynn to kind of you know to, to to do something with it because i imagine he must have been really disconsolate when he kind of lost the brand and he's in fact it says he didn't sound like he was interested in getting the company name back and he felt it'd been tarnished by things like the ob12 and the obmx uh, but he did miss the logo though and I, like i say i don't blame him i mean i yeah. wonder whether or not i wonder what it's going to be called i guess it's just going to be called a sam isn't it and not an oberheim i don't know because he can't use his name can he it's a weird it's one of those weird scenarios with uh, trademarking and all that stuff can he not use his name I don't think as a brand. Are we sure of that? I, I mean, know, I'm not sure about. It. I'm guessing. Period of limitations on that to begin with. I mean, mm. Moog got their name back from whoever owned it last. Was it Norlin or whoever? Yeah, but it uh, was. It wasn't Gibson, though, was it? <laughs> well, what what is Gibson got something to protect? <laughs> She's the key. Maybe they're Gib- maybe Gibson they're protecting are fairly... that new Les Paul with the six outputs. No, Gibson. Gibson <laughs> are kind of a lot more um, lawyered up, <laughs> shall we say? Yes, I believe it's 20 on retainer. Mm. Oh. They're kind like of that. famous for taking and sticking things in the morgue, too. And Can I just say that allegedly is there at some point? Yeah. Uh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rich, are you going to be getting one, do you reckon? You think you might be tempted? I might be. Let's, I'll let's see it come out first. But, yeah, yeah I, I'd love to have one. I mean, we've got a mini Moog at the studio. I have very little hardware left in the studio. And this would be more a moment of romance if yeah. I got it. It's not because I desperately need it, but just because it's so great and it's so cute and it's it sounds so good that maybe I would want to have one around. Yeah, I suppose though the thing is, is surely wouldn't you want one of the originals if you're going to kind of go that in that no. route? No, no, no. Okay, <laughs> fair no. enough. I'll take this one and maybe even hire somebody to bring out the patch points because the you in the, the the one of the coolest things about this thing when it was released as an individual module was you could bring out almost everything on a patch point. Yeah, this. you could yeah. turn it into a modular synthesizer, basically. Oh, I've seen stunning. that. I've seen that because uh, Will's got a couple of them in a rack, and he's got all of the patch points taken them out. Yeah, I mean the amount of electronics in particularly the old set is just vast. Hmm. I mean, it's acres and acres and acres. We had to get ours um, refurbished, particularly the controller or the programmer. And I mean, it's just immense. It's like it's about six layers of circuit boards. Wow. wow. That is a lot. 
there's a lot more um, information. If you go over to Matrix Synth and do a search, there's a kind of on, ongoing threads where there's Flickr photos and posts brought together from um, Analog Haven and various other places. It's quite, um, it's quite a good uh, sort of hub of all things Oberheim. So I go and check that out. Okay, so I've just got this uh, Ekai APC40, um, thanks to the guys at storedj.com.au and Ekai for uh, uh, giving me one of these to play with. Um, so I've just got the box, and um, I'm going to do the whole open the box thing, because I thought it's quite fun. Slightly tacky, but uh, it's a bit of fun. Um, yeah, so I've never touched one of these before. This will be my first experience with it, and I'm very excited. Um, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Let's open it and get straight into it. Right, that was a chap called Tom Cosm, who's uh, an Aussie uh, or New Zealand, I'm not sure which, uh, Ableton Live nut, and he's um, been given uh, one of the new Akai MPC APC40s, which is the dedicated Ableton controller. And this thing has just flown off the shelves. This is it's kind of a really massive hit for Akai. Um, the, the, let me see if I can say this right, because I got it wrong in the notes. Demand is outstripping supply by quite a long way <laughs> and uh, it looks pretty nice actually and people seem to be kind of saying this is really making a huge difference to the whole kind of live uh, workflow um he t- tom also wrote a really good review which uh, he says he loves the machine it lived up to 99 percent of his expectations and combined all the things which uh, a live act a producer really needs buttons knobs faders etc it doesn't just increase the productivity of my production but also the fluency of my live set which means he can adapt um to his set based on crowd feedback which all live acts sort of strive to achieve and um the only the only criticism i think he had was the the knob, the but the the pads for triggering drum sounds in real time are a little bit. There's a bit of latency. They're not quite as snappy, but I think that's a USB thing rather than anything else. Um, and um, I spoke to the Newmark office in Bar in in the UK, and apparently they're back ordered now in uh, four figures. And three out of every five phone calls they get to the office is about the Akim APC forty. And you just think, wow, that did did. Was this expected? Where did this come from? D- does it make you want to get one? I sort of want to try one out now. Dave? Uh, I was just thinking, yeah, no wonder they're not returning my emails. <laughs> <laughs> so you better say something nice. <laughs> no, I mean, I was blown away with it when I saw it at NAMM. I mean, Houston, brilliant demo anyway, but I mean, the way he was using it and whatnot. And it's absolutely perfect for a band that I work with and uh, we've been trying to get hold of one kind of ever since nam really yeah i mean they're like uh, rocking horse the rever- proverbial rocking horse dung it's brilliant because sometimes as a as a kind of you know as a as a development company you get this kind of hit we had it a million years ago when we did the fat boy and it just goes mental and sometimes you know some companies spend their lives kind of chasing it again and again and again but it's not something it's weird it's not something you kind of can analyze or plan it's just right product right moment right price right time and everybody just goes gaga mm. awesome i was just thinking of the last time akai had a hit of this size would have been presumably some of the npcs or the you know this i mean obviously that i'm not saying their products aren't popular but where it's gone this massive would it have been the akai s samplers maybe or the npc yeah probably yeah, yes npc npc line i think yeah mm-hmm. PJ, you 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 were saying that you're thinking of going to a live um, setup um, using Ableton. Do you think this is something that would fit into your setup? Yeah, I do actually, and uh, I I think it looks fantastic. And I I think probably the the um, 
you know, what Dave was saying about it being the right product, the right time is, is most definitely true. I think a lot of people have been looking for the holy grail of live controllers. Uh, so many people using different things and, and things they have cobbled together. And I think the ability to use this kind of on a one-on-one, you know, feature basis, being able to launch clips with that matrix of, of buttons, but also the ability to integrate um, Max into Live and to be able to build your own objects and customize the hardware that way is a is a really fa- and it's fa- opens up fantastic frontiers. Well, that of course uh, I think is coming in autumn. The actual Max integration has not yep. not been released yet, yep. but that's bound that's right. to throw up a whole bunch of stuff. Yep. Hmm. It does seem like a very cool... I, I mean, you know, we always, or at least I quite often go on about the, the, the holy grail of controllers, and it seems like this is one of those ones which is really, they've just nailed it. It's a perfect pairing, perhaps. Rich? Well, uh, insofar as Ableton Live is directed very much towards a broad audience that includes DJs and people who are doing that kind of behavior live, and in as much as grabbing a laptop trackpad or even a mouse and trying to move around that interface is not necessarily the most desirable thing to have to do in a darkened room i think this thing is brilliant for those people and uh i thought so when it was released and it really does take the ableton live workflow and make it much more available to those people in those kinds of difficult circumstances uh that said i have little use for the thing yeah because i'm not one of them (laughs) but what but for those guys, this thing is perfect, and I can't, I'm not surprised that it's selling well, because if you're really a live guy, you know, an Ableton live guy, and you do that kind of live DJ-type behavior, this would be the stuff. Yeah, I mean, I wonder um, whether it might now encourage a little more uh, investment and innovation in this whole kind of controller uh, world, um, um, because, you know, it's obviously pricey to kind of come up with the right hardware and whatever, and they, they, these guys kind of got it right you know, with this first go. So presumably it, there, there must be more in the pipeline and hopefully from other companies too. I mean, really, from, you know, from my perspective, the, the guys that I work with Underworld, what they jam on stage. So everything's spontaneous and everything's live, as it were. So from their perspective, this is just absolute manna from heaven. Do they use live live, as it were? Yeah, and it's, uh, it used to be Logic and live, uh, but now it's all with this uh, this year's rig, it's all switched over to live. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, I, I, I've still got to, you know, as I've said before, I've still got to get to get live so that I can figure out the the process from kind of jamming to arrangement. I haven't quite figured that part out yet, and I need to sort of spend some more time on it. I, I, every opportunity I get, uh, trying to plug in or whatever, I try and put it in live just so that I become more familiar with it. But mm-hmm. this is this is such a great. I mean, this one. Uh, the the thing I didn't like about it is that it's three hundred ninety nine US dollars. But it's also 399 UK pounds, which I think is really a bit of a wow. bit of a hit. I'm not, presumably uh, it's a US mothership company, so yeah, the the dollar costs are fixed. But it's a, it's a bit um, it doesn't seem to have dis- discouraged anybody from back ordering it. Four figures, what's that? That's thousands, isn't it? Thousands on back order. Nice, nice, Dave. It, with a band like Underworld, when you say that they're jamming on stage, are they combining, um, you know, live playing with with VSTs and, and and a live rig along with launching clip sets in live, that kind of thing? Yeah, Is that yeah, it? yeah. That plus, you know, um, CDs with um, you know text on it and various other bits and pieces, kind of ambient stuff. So you'll always find the kind of. <laughs> I think it's awesome because actually, when they do play live, they're able to feed off of the crowd intuitively. 
Okay. So if a particular song isn't working very well that night, if it's a kind of slower number and it needs to raise the tempo, then they can kind of seamlessly um, move into another one. Uh, and this is just going to make things so much easier. I mean, the way it worked before was with Logic Touch tracks. Oh. So you could trigger it, and they had a couple of little black boxes made that actually showed the keys that were being triggered, whether the key was active or inactive. Um, but, the, you know, this is just so much easier. Fantastic. So though. what would they do? Would they all have one? Would that be the idea? Uh, I, I think, it- yeah, yeah, probably. Mm, well, and then it- have it interact with different versions of live running... Wow. Yeah, it just all runs from a central clock. Wow. Uh, and then you can trigger the clips as and when. Uh, the thing about all of this stuff, I always, I, you know, I'm just, I so want to know how people use this kind of stuff because it's so interesting um, to me anyway as how it kind of integrates and how they use it from a, from that point of view. Because, I mean, you get the situation where, um, like, the Gabriel uh, tour, the recent Peter Gabriel tour that Richard Evans very kindly did some video blogging from, you know, he uses Labelton Live to run that whole show, um, although it's not much stuff on it, I believe. It's still, you know, so they all have that. There's a, a different way that you, you know, so many different ways to use this stuff, but uh, it's, each one is kind of different. There is no correct way. What, incidentally, the one thing that um, it's worth checking out, if you go over to the tomcosm.com, which is C-O-S-M, as in the, uh, you know, the, like the, the amp modelling, Roland amp modelling, he's got uh, the unboxing video, which I played the beginning of there. He then goes into just an exploration of, you know, running up a live set. And that is really intuitive and informative to how he does things. And it's really, really eye-opening. I think he does a load of DVD instructional stuff that shows how to do various types of things. And it's brilliant. He's he's obviously really clued up on it. And, but obviously there's so many different ways of doing it. There's a, It's almost like live has become a micro uh, industry in the same way that the iPhone has. You know, there are all these little sort of cottage industries growing up around it. And it you know, instructions, sets, uh, setups, you know, controllers, all of this thing. It's like a separate... It's quite a powerful and big, um, in, you know, program application, really, when it's just based on, when it's, considering it's just a software thing. It's pretty impressive. It's certainly, certainly mm-hmm. spawned a rich culture, it seems like, and, and diverse. You go to a trade show and there's, there's a whole culture around the Ableton booth that's separate from, like, the whole rest of the show. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting to see. Definitely. And they're exceptionally cool guys, actually. Yeah, really nice people. Yeah, well, Houston is almost is one of the best, of course. Right, well, um, check it out. Um, TomCosm.com, Ableton.com, uh, AkaiPro.com. Just go to it. And if you can get one, then good luck to you. If you can't, then you're going to have to wait at least two or three weeks. I think July the 1st for the UK, where the second shipment's coming. So it's three weeks. So, uh, yeah, lots of people. And presumably by then it will probably have sold out the second batch, maybe. I don't know. Um, so um, at this point, we'll just like to introduce our second sponsor of the show, and that is Loopmasters.com. Um, Loopmasters are the number one website and sample seed distributor f- dedicated to bringing you the most inspirational collections of royalty-free sounds and samples from some of the top producers worldwide. They've got all sorts of different kinds of styles of music, collections, uh, different file formats, etc., etc. We were running a Sonic State VIP deal with them where there was uh, 800 megabytes of uh, free downloads uh, once you got a coupon but that has actually run out now so um, those are no longer we are working with them to try and get some more sample packs um, but for the time being uh, there are no more coupons so they were obviously quite popular um, which might mean they stick around let's hope so so um We'd also like to bring your attention to their podcast, which uh, they run over at looptv.net. And uh, there's number three of that podcast, which has got uh, interviews with Hope Records, DJ and remixer uh, Jody Wistonoff from Way Out West, who's a great sort of analog synth head. Uh, they've also got a tech talk section with uh, 
Rob Jones, who uh, goes into tutorial sessions on Ableton uh, and some Focusrite gear. And go check them out at looptv.net. And if you, in the meantime, if you actually want any Loop Masters samples, you can go over to loopmasters.com and register, and that'll give you access to some free downloads as well. So uh, if you want to get head over to loopmasters.com slash, I think it's sign up, and um, you can go and help yourself to some more samples. Anyway, thanks again to loopmasters.com as their sponsors of the show. Right, and this brings us to our... It's probably going to be our last topic, because we're sort of running out of time, but uh, this one was a classic. I hope you guys managed to at least get a chance to see this, but I'm going to play a clip. If you want to look at world music and the music of the last 50 years that, that changed the world, you need look no further than Island Records. I really, really love music. I was living really for music. I love music so much. I just sort of wanted to get, kind of get into it, or or, or be as close to it as I could. That was, of course, the uh, celebration of Island Records is fifty years old this year, and the the that was the introduction or part of the introduction to the brilliant BBC uh, program, which was fifty years of Island Records, which was a documentary, or I suppose they call it a rockumentary. Um, and the last voice you heard there was Chris Blackhall, who was the founder member of it, and I w- I just thought it was an absolutely brilliant program. Partly because I like this sort of thing anyway, but partly because I didn't realise quite how many acts were spawned from the kind of the, the mind of Chris Blackwell. We've got U2, Roxy Music, PJ Harvey, Steve Winwood, Grace Jones, Trevor Horn, actually, who was, uh, uh, who owns ZTT Records, was, uh, taken, was, was a kind of co-venture with, uh, Island Records, um, organised by Chris Blackwell, Stereo MCs, Eric B and Rakim, Tom Waits, Linton Quasi Johnson, M- Amy Winehouse, B52 Sparks, there are more. Now, I don't know whether our US friends managed to see this. Uh, there are apparently ways you can do some IP spoofing or a proxy where you can set it up, but I did try and uh, include some instructions there. But Dave Spears, I know you did. And wasn't it a great, uh, sort of heartwarming program about, I guess it's kind of corporate record companies that still somehow managed to instill this um, great sense of creativity and artistic control? It was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I mean, I was mesmerised by the whole programme. I'd, I'd kind of caught the tail end of it on TV, so being able to see it on the iPlayer thing was just brilliant. Um, but stunning. I mean, frankly, anyone intru- who introduced John Martin to the world and then stuck with him over the years deserves a life peerage, in my opinion. Uh, but it's just passionate, really passionate. And it's it's weird, isn't it? Because we always we, we just get this vibe constantly, you know, record companies, oh, the Antichrist and rip-off record companies. But without people like Blackwell... We'd have been deprived of so much good stuff. Yeah. Well, there's some great stories in there. One of the best tales I liked uh, uh, was um, because he just basically wanted to do what he wanted to do. He wasn't really into being kind of too corporate, which is why ultimately he left Island Records or sold it um, and no longer has anything to do with it, as far as I understand. He signed U2 when nobody else would. Their first album was sort of moderately successful, nothing really, you know, just in the UK. Their second album was an experimental record, as they put it, about God, which would have had them dropped from any other label. 
but Blackwell just kept them going because he could see something special in there. And then when it came to the time, um, they had their first, was it Joshua Tree was their really big one and wore those two albums, um, massive, massive albums where they, they got into the, for the first time into really big royalty checks. But the thing is, Blackwell was so into kind of, he was experimenting with uh, producing films and one of the films he was working on had, um, had gone four times over budget and he just didn't have the money to pay the royalty check. So he went to U2 and said, listen, guys, I haven't got the money. You know, can you wait with me? And they, because they had so much trust and faith in the guy and they had such a good relationship, they said, yeah, okay, fine. So they delayed their royalty payment until he got it. They all got paid in the end and it kept the whole machinery going. And that was kind of um, just great, I thought. It was the other bit as well where um, the guy, had the, I think it was the marketing director, and he suggested that they sack U2. <laughs> and they sacked him uh, and they sacked him instead <laughs> I, rich hilton uh, rich has just texted me said he has to leave i don't know if you're still there rich but um have you, have you got a moment just as did, did you get a chance to see this or does island records mean much to you island records meant a lot to me i didn't get to see the show but the romantic part about this is that it harkens back to a day when people did this because they were interested in the music and because of their pure love for being around it and and nurturing it uh, without going directly into saying anything about the business we've been left with now. Yeah. Uh, that's what I like about the old business. And clearly Chris Blackwell was representative of that attitude. Yeah. I'm a great guy. Great guy. It's very interesting the way that he was seen. He's like, this posh bloke came down and said, I want to sign you. It's like <laughs> to a lot of the kids of in the punk and new wave area. It was just really weird. <laughs> well, and I think he uh, had a lot to do with introducing reggae and island music to a much wider audience. Sure. Well, as well as Bob Marley, um, he, uh, he, he, did, he ran Trojan Records as well. But um, the, there's that interesting Bob Marley thing where he signed Bob Marley. He just gave him four grand and said, okay, tell me what you got in a couple of months, which everybody said, you're crazy. You've come from Jamaica because he did live in Jamaica. You never give the money up front because they'll just rip you off. But he ended up with these great sessions, which he took to the UK and said, listen, you know, you have to trust me. I'm going to work on working some crossover into this where he did some edits, extended them, got guitar solos, got all of these things in there that would appeal to a wider audience. And, and he, he basically messed with, you know, he was kind of hands on and really made that work. It was brilliant. Mm -hmm. Rich, um, have you got a moment to stay or are you kind of out of no, here? No, I, re I really do have to leave. Well, so it's Rich, been wonderful as thank always. You very much. Thank you very much uh, once again for, for, for coming with us and particularly as it's not our usual record day. Uh, Rich can be found at myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. So uh, we'll say goodbye. See you next week then. Yes. Fantastic. Bye chaps. Bye bye. Bye, -bye. bye Rich. So um, PJ, I don't know. Did you get a chance? I mean, I guess the uh, proxy stuff looked a bit kind of complicated to me i didn't figure out how to do it because i was trying to get hulu to work over here to see if i could uh, work it the other way but um uh, yeah no unfortunately i didn't get to but i've seen i've i've watched um s several like this in the past on it seems to me like every few years or every 10 years or so something something comes up on island records just because of how prominent they've been in the you know, and in, in, in driving these acts in, in, into the public sphere. And, and uh, Chris Blackwell is just amazing, just an amazing guy. And, and the story that you told me about you two, it doesn't surprise me at all. He just seems like the kind of guy that could sit at the top of a, of a mega record empire and still just do business on a handshake or, you know, go to somebody and say, hey, look, I can't pay you Tuesday, but I can pay you Friday. Can you wait? Yeah. And it's just, it's fantastic. And I, I yeah, so many so many records in my collection are island are island label records uh, uh 
a huge fan of reggae, so I've got uh, a number of the box sets that they had released in in, in the past, and and uh, all of the U two stuff. I came up on I came up on that, so it uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I can't wait to to figure out how to watch this this documentary. I couldn't believe how many because they they got King Crimson, all these and Emerson Lake and Palmer, all that kind of stuff that just you know these guys were a real formative people who've sort of formed music over the years you know he's really had a real vision and it's so heartwarming to actually hear a good news story they uh, and what's more they've didn't they, haven't they signed sugar babes didn't they sign sugar babes so they're doing pop too which seems to be kind of sugar babes seem to be quite um well respected amongst other um you know artists they're not sort of seen as just sort of naff pop um constructs there was also a great um, ethos within the company that, you know, for musicians as well. Um, an old mate of ours, um, Rabbit Bundrick, I think he's with The Who now. I think he's been with them for quite a long time, keyboard player. But he used to play keyboards for loads and loads of island artists from, you know, Bob Marley, John Martin, Jimmy Cliff, Sandy Denny, all of those guys. And he has some amazing stories about that whole scene, you know, during those real halcyon days. But what I loved about what, you know, loads of the island artists and the recordings just had a warmth about them. And uh, kind of a few years ago, I found out that um, Elvis Costello and Chris Difford had bought the original heliocentric desk, which was used for, you know, all the Roxy music stuff, all the Bob Marley stuff. And I insisted that we uh, used it for one of the sample CDs we did. And it's just got this amazing warmth to it. Um, Elvis and Chris had kind of had the whole thing completely refurbished. Uh, and Paul Weller um, used the studio. It's a, it's a different studio called Heliocentric. I think Keane recorded the album there. But Paul Weller recorded an album there and loved the um, desk so much and the studio that I think he called the album Heliocentric. Wow. Well, they're all wow. island artists as well, aren't they? Keane are, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not very electronic. I mean, you know, it's not not not. But I suppose it has been. You know, that's just it, it's just such a heartwarming story. I mean, I'm sorry if this is alienating our international listeners, but if you get a chance to try and listen to this or watch it, it's really, really um, worth worth looking at, and also worth looking at any of the Island Back catalogue because it's just got. I couldn't see anything in there I didn't like really, and it's also things like. Um you know, for example, when he um, opted out of the scene, he part of his contract was that the Nick Drake records should always be available. You know, having that written into part of your um, exit clause is just awesome. Mm. Was that your doorbell or was that another snare sample? Uh, that was, yes, Eno's kick drum. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to, I think, actually, Dave, you, 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 you kind of need to get a kind of um, a, a sample kit. You just need a hi-hat now. We've got almost everything we need for a... For a beat, <laughs> the doorbell, the phone. Yeah, and if I can get, I, I'll get, um, I'll get this going, and then we can loop it. Yes. Yeah, we're almost there. I left my mobile on as well. That's oh, did you? Gone off. Oh, she's still playing. Sorry, what's going on there? Stop that. Stop that. So, yeah, um, that's a great, uh, a great and sort of heartwarming in these days when, you know, we all feel that record companies are the, the spawn of the devil and they're just cynical commercial. There is, it's nice to see that there was something or has been and sort of still is some semblance of it in Island Records um, and having them all talk about it in kind of warm and uh, reverential terms, even the current artists, you know, which is kind of cool. I think unless there's anything else to add, we're pretty much... Um, at the end of the show, 
So, um, once again, I'd like to say thank you very much to our sponsors, who are loopmasters.com and roland.co.uk. Uh, don't forget, you can probably see both of their stuff at the Limbs Show uh, if you're heading up there. We'll be there on Thursday and Friday if anyone's uh, hanging out. Come and say hi. Um, hopefully you'll be able to recognise us. We'll be the ones lugging around cameras and looking harassed. And we're wearing headphones with tatty ear muffs. That's what I, mine, mine do. Um, and also, um, thanks to everybody in the live chat room, sonicstate.com forward slash live. If you've not been there before, I think you should come and check us out. Also, um, remember, you can leave uh, us emails, uh, email at talk at sonicstate.com. You can leave messages uh, if you've got uh, Skype at Sonic Talk is the handle. Just come phone us up. You know, maybe you get back late from a gig and you're feeling a little bit merry. Just leave us something interesting and we'll, we'll play it in the show and comment on it, I'm sure. Um, so thank you very much to uh, my current guest. Uh, obviously, Rich Hilton has left the building. Uh, he had to go to work, which is uh, something that some of us have to once in a while. Uh, PJ's still here, but thank you very much, PJ Tracy, uh, for joining us. Uh, PJ Tracy Music, where you find PJ stuff. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And Dave Spear of G4Software.com. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, and hopefully we'll see you at Limbs. Um, anybody else who's coming, we'll see you there. And uh, that was Sonic Talk number 133. Boom, ka, boom, boom, ka, boom, 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 boom,